Support for Access Utah comes from Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Now open Monday through Saturday until 2, offering a changing menu of a specialty salad, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits, and lunch sandwiches. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to talk about labor in America today. Uh, collective bargaining, unions, a uh, spotlight has been sh- shown on uh, collective bargaining, unions, and uh, labor with uh, the liquidation of uh, Hostess. We hope we'll still be able to get our Twinkies and uh, Ho-Hos. The brands may live on, but the company has decided to liquidate. Some are blaming unions. Here's a uh, headline uh, from foxbusiness.com, Death of Twinkies, a Union Contract Hit. Others have a different opinion. This from Salon.com. Vulture capitalism, not unions, killed Twinkies. We're going to talk about labor on the program today. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Utah State University professors Bill Shugart and David Stevens. We'll also be talking with a labor expert, a historian of labor, Uh, from Georgetown University, and we'll conclude the program with the Vice President of Utah AFL-CIO. We begin uh, talking about uh, the the plight of displaced uh, hostess workers, and there are some, I believe, 500 or so in Utah. Uh, There's a job fair uh, coming up, and we bring in uh, Sarah Stoffers, uh, Economic and Workforce Development Specialist in Ogden with the Utah Department of Workforce Services. Ms. Stoffers, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. Thanks. For having me, Tom. Uh, so, uh, how many workers uh, have been displaced by the liquidation of hostess then in Utah? Between Cache County and Juap County in the state of Utah, there's about 550 employees, with about 250 in Davis and Weber County, about 200 in the Salt Lake area and south, and then the rest are up north. So, a fairly significant hit from this liquidation. Yes, there are a lot of displaced employees. And you have a job fair that's going to try to help these workers. Yes, we partnered with the Ogden Weber Tech College to sponsor a job fair that we're hosting today from 1 to 4 p.m. And we've reached out to some of our community partners and employers and also to the unions to distribute the message. We have about 30 employers that will be there, including almost all of the major commercial bakeries between Logan and Salt in Provo are attending there. And you, I think you're working with uh, Hostess HR with this? Yes, we are. They've been great to work with. They've been able to coordinate with us that we've been able to mail out information to all those Hostess employees that were affected by the layoff to let them know about this job fair that's going on. And they've also helped us connect with requests that they've gotten for the community to support their partners. Um, Salvation Army will actually be present today, and they've reserved 75 Angel Tree applications for those affected by the layoff, and Hostess HR Management helped us connect with that. Mm. Yeah, n- never a good time to get laid off, but heading into the holidays especially especially hard. Uh, you say unions are involved. They're, they're trying to help out. Yes, they've been great. The, um, the Teamsters have reached out to us, and we were able to talk to the Teamsters in the Salt Lake City Union Hall two days after the layoff, and then we've also been in coordination with the Bakers Union and the AL, the AFL-CIO up in Idaho, and they have been able to communicate with those affected in the southern Idaho area that would be willing to commute to Utah and extended the invitation to them. And they've also expressed to some of us, expressed to us some of those Bakers' needs, and what they've expressed is that financial counseling and also some um, mental health 
counseling would be nice to have. And so we've mm-hmm. extended offers and we've extended invitations to those in our community that can support that. So they've both been great to work with. Do you think uh, the workers be able to stay in the same industry? Do bakers stay in baking, or will there have to be some retraining? Uh, well, there, I think a lot of them will be able to. However, we do have uh, training available through the Department of Workforce Services, and we have plenty of money available. If those bakers want to ap- apply, we can help them get connected with the tech colleges and get some retraining. And we also have on-the-job training opportunities that we can partner with the employers that are willing to train them on the site. So some of them may need to. Our employers here know that the bakers and the teamsters and the drivers and all those at Hostess were hard, dedicated, loyal workers. And so they've been really eager to connect with this workforce because they know they can train them, even if it's not a job that's exactly the same as what they were doing previously. Is this unusual? This is this case is getting a lot of publicity nationwide, but, uh, you know, businesses do go out of business. Uh, at 500 at a time, is this a pretty big hit in terms of um, what's usual in Utah? No, this is not typical at all. And I think that's why there's been such a big response from the community, from our educational partners, and those partnerships has really been what has helped us get this job fair up and going in such short notice. But it it isn't typical, and I think that's why the everyone's rallying the troops, and they want to reach out to these displaced workers and help get them back to work as soon as possible. So tell us again where, where these employees have worked. It's, it's anywhere from Cache County to Juab County? Yes, pretty much from Logan down to Nephi. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us the details again on, on where the job fair and, and uh, uh, contact point if someone uh, worked for Hostess or maybe uh, knows someone and, and wants to get them in touch with some services. Absolutely. The job fairs today at the Ogden Weber Tech College in Ogden, Utah. That's at 200 North Washington Boulevard. And we have 30 different employers that will be there trying to reach out to these employees. And they can come into any of our offices. We have offices in Logan, Brigham City, Ogden, Roy, Clearfield, Woods Cross, all over Salt Lake County and down in Utah County as well. They can come into the office and we have workshops available and we will connect them with the jobs that are available well, thank you very much. Uh, we've been talking uh, with uh, Sarah Stoffers, uh, Economic and Workforce Development Specialist with the Department of Workforce Services, a job fair to to help uh, relocate to these uh, hostess workers. Some 550 have been displaced by the liquidation of the company. Thanks. Thank you, Tom. And we turn next uh, to our uh, main topic of discussion for this hour, which is uh, the intersection here with unions, organized labor, labor in America. We're throwing that out to you. Uh, What is the place of labor in America today? Uh, As I mentioned, uh, I did a Google search uh, just yesterday uh, with the uh, delightful phrase uh, unions and Twinkies. It's it's amazing what you can do. Um, And uh, came up with a variety of headlines. It seemed like more of the headlines uh, were uh, along this vein from foxbusiness.com. Death of Twinkies, a union contract hit. Uh, Then uh, uh, headlines in this vein, vulture capitalism, not unions, killed Twinkies. That's from salon.com. We're throwing out the question to you. 
Are unions needed in uh, America today? Are they an anachronistic drag on the economy, or are they needed? Uh, continue to be needed uh, for uh, safety and wage protections for workers? We're throwing that out to you, whether you're a union person or not, uh, have an experience here. We bring in now uh, two Utah State University professors, uh, Bill Shugart. Uh, joins us. Uh, he is uh, the J. Fish Smith uh, Professor of uh, Public Choice and the uh, Huntsman uh, School of Business here at Utah State University. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Tom. And uh, we also uh, uh, are uh, talking on this part of the program with David Stevens, who's uh, a professor in the Huntsman uh, School of Business as well. Thanks. Glad to be here. Should, in uh, terms of full disclosure, we uh, we had a little rivalry going here, Texas A&M and Texas. You, <laughs> you both have ties to those those schools. But we found out that uh, you, Professor Stevens, also uh, went to Texas A&M. So. Uh, I didn't attend there, but I did teach there one year early in my career. So, <laughs> so, so we have some common ground. Perhaps we won't come to blows here in the in the, in the studios. I hope we're, not. We're, <laughs> we're talking Heisman race before we went out there. But, but the subject is uh, is labor. Let me tar- uh, start with you, Professor Shugart. Um, first of all, the the hostess situation is this unusual? There there is churn in the business world. Businesses go out of business every day. Right. I don't think it's uh, unusual. Maybe the uh, numbers involved and, and, the, and the fact that some of the pe- people that work for Hostess are in Utah uh, raises the profile of it. But, uh, you know, freedom of, of business to fail is just Im- as important to a competitive market economy as the opportunity that that gives to succeed. Mm. Uh, this is not the first time Hostess has been bankrupt. This has been going on for many years. Uh, Hostess uh, declared went into Chapter 11 in uh, 04 and didn't come out to 09. Uh, and uh, then again, at the beginning of this year, January, it goes into bankruptcy again. And I'm going to argue that uh, one of the primary reasons for bankruptcy is the outmoded distribution system that Hostess uses that's forced on it by Teamsters contracts. Mm-hmm. So you blame, at least in part, the unions. At least in part. Yeah. There are lots of blame to go around, including uh, greedy uh, corporate executives, uh, 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 a decline uh, of uh, sales over the last year or two, uh, especially their snack products. And maybe we can blame uh, Michelle Obama for that. Uh, (laughs) She's trying to get us fit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, But... uh, I also want to say that uh, Twinkies are not going to go away. Uh, there are already offers on the table by many, uh, several companies in the United States and, and some from overseas that would like to have those brands uh, to be able to sell uh, Twinkies, Ho-Hos, and Ding Dongs. What nobody is interested in are the physical assets of the company, and especially its uh, high-cost distribution system. Mm. Professor Stevens, you do you agree with this? The, the overall, a, a troubled company, but the unions bear some blame. Well, I would say that the unions uh, are part of the problem. There's no question about that. In another sense, the uh, union employees are victims. Uh, I think the biggest uh, set of difficulties for the for the hostess brands is that is that uh, they uh, are in an industry that's changed significantly. Uh, the dietary habits of Americans. There's been a distinct shift away from high high carbohydrate foods, and uh, and and that certainly has not helped Hostess. 
there's there's also been a shift to uh, in their in their mainline bread products, the old Wonder Bread that we all knew so well as kids growing up. That has lost market share to what we uh, generally call artisan breads or or more more trendy more trendy breads, uh, uh, more uh, usually more whole wheat. Uh, uh, exotic recipes and so on, and so demand for the product for the products have gone down. For example, uh, from 2003 to the present, the total sales of Hostess brands has gone down every single year, mm. and so there's clear evidence that there's shrinkage in the marketplace. Mm. And so, if your revenues go down, if your revenues go down, then your profits are likely to go down too unless you can adjust your costs internally. Mm-hmm. You, with lower revenues, you have to reduce cost in order to maintain profitability. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for Hostess, uh, profits profits have, uh, have been negative every year since 2004. Mm-hmm. They've lost money every, every year since 2004. We, we teach in economics that in the long run you can't remain in business if you can't be profitable. Mm-hmm. Well, 2004 to 2012 constitutes the long run, in my opinion. You, you <laughs> simply can't go on like that. Mm-hmm. The company now has uh, <clears throat> now has a half a billion dollars more uh, more uh, liabilities than they have assets, mm-hmm. and so the company's in bad shape. The union's role, in, 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 in my view, the workers are victims in the sense that here's a worker that goes to work in the plant in Ogden every day. They try to do their job. Uh, for them, er- everything's okay. Uh, traditionally, the union worker wants management to take care of all the financial problems, and they want management to take care of the, of the marketing issues. And so if sales are down, they would much prefer that management figure out how to uh, drive sales uh, and and get more revenue so that they can still enjoy high wages and the company will still be profitable. Mm-hmm. But crunch time comes when the cost structure simply doesn't mesh with the marketing system and and so profits turn negative. So so traditionally management comes to the union and says we want uh, we want cost concessions we want you to accept lower wages and that's what's happened in this case. Mm-hmm. Professor Shugart, um, pulling out from Hostess and, and just uh, in the global marketplace today, are are unions anachronistic? As I said, that's a point of view of some. A dinosaur? Is this just a, a drag on global competitiveness? Well, let me first follow up on something that Professor Stevens said. Uh, I, uh, I think uh, Hostess uh, here at the very end had uh, something, something like 18,000 500 to 19,000 employees, and the total debt per employee is something like $45,000 each. Those are numbers that are like the per capita debt of the U.S. government. I mean, it's a huge burden, and it cannot, uh, obviously, uh, that that debt uh, and and the attempt of, of the holders of that debt to realize some return on their investment is what caused uh, the, the, the trigger to be pulled and for uh, bankruptcy uh, to be declared. Uh, unions uh, historically served a very important uh, uh, purpose early on uh, uh, in the early part of the 20th century and middle part in terms of uh, 
helping uh, through the collective bargaining process improve workplace safety. And uh, I think the best estimate I saw was able to uh, secure a wage premium for union workers that was about 15% higher than work, non-union workers in, in, in uh, comparable jobs. But that was then, and this is now, we're in a very highly competitive global marketplace, and uh, high-cost distribution systems are just not sustainable. And so if we look around uh, the economy as a whole, we see union membership declining, steadily in the private sector. On the other hand, it's rising uh, much more briskly in the public sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor Stevens, uh, I wonder just in a general terms, uh, unions are widely credited with, with helping produce advances in safety wages, which uh, I, I think many would agree were needed uh, in today's marketplace. Uh, I, I don't know what you feel the ideal relationship between management and labor would be, and and is there a place for unions in that? Well, first I want to comment on something that Bill said. Uh, Right now, uh, private sector unionization in the United States has fallen below 7%. It's about 6.8 or 6.9%. Public sector unionism in the United States is about 40%. Of the workforce, you add those two together, and since there are more private sector workers than public, the the total is a little bit less than twelve percent of American workers are currently unionized. But but the focal point should be that private sector number of six point nine or six point eight percent. If you go back to the apex of uh, unionization in the United States at the end of World War II. Uh, over 40% of all private sector jobs were unionized. But in those days, we were living in a different world. Uh, the, the, market, the market for goods was more by country. And, and now the, the market for goods and even services has become truly global. And so one of the realities of the American workplace is that the labor market uh, – the market in which American workers and American unions compete for jobs and, and for wages is really not the domestic market, but it's the world market. And so, and so it's, not that, it's not that workers from, from the interior of China come to the U.S. and present themselves for a job. It's not that. It's that the employer, like Hostess, looks at high cost structure. They think, how can we reduce cost? One of the, their largest cost is labor. How can we reduce labor cost? And it occurs to them that they could uh, manufacture offshore. Hmm. And so uh, under those circumstances, then there's a choice for American unions. You either have to agree to work for less or the jobs go away. Um, I think the, the classical example is the American steel industry, where after World War II, the American steel industry was the envy of the world. Uh, by 19, late 1950s or 1960, that steel industry was was greatly on, in decline and uh, because that union took the strategy that they'd rather preserve high wages for the few rather than preserve jobs for the many. And so, so that industry shrunk down. Manufacturing has been hit the hardest. Uh, an industry, uh, our, our current discussion concerning uh, concerning uh, bakery products, that's that's more of a, for many reasons, more of a domestic industry. We're not likely to to import very many loaves of bread or or Twinkies from from mainland China or from 
or from Central America. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, but nevertheless, uh, the changes in the world labor market have created a new world for American unions. The other thing that's important is that uh, you pointed out, uh, Tom, that during the Industrial Revolution, uh, working conditions were terrible, wages were low, uh, uh, the factory system tended to treat workers poorly, and, and we've all read uh, heart-rending stories about, about the abuses uh, during earlier days. But one of the things that's changed in the United States is we have we have now greatly expanded the amount of labor law and business place regulation. So a lot of the things that unions used to have to fight for at the bargaining table are now uh, are now provided by law. For example, uh, the Occupational Health and Safety Act. Uh, until that was passed, uh, the safety in the plant was an item for collective bargaining. If conditions were going to improve, the union had to bargain for that and had to win. But after the passage of OSHA, then government regulation has pretty much provided for the workers' protection there, and they don't have to bargain about that. So uh, so in, in one sense, because we have legislated uh, so many changes in the, in the relationship between the employer and the employee, and the, employee the union's role has been narrowed. Union's role has been somewhat narrowed, and then in the international marketplace, with with more competition, with low workers globally, it's been hard for American unions to maintain the premium that Bill alluded to in terms of the wage rate. We're coming uh, down to the end of this segment. I want to ask you, Professor Shugart. Uh, Professor Stevens talked about the the safety aspects. I want to focus on on wages in a globally competitive world where there's you know, labor in China. They're not presenting themselves for jobs here, but the, the reality is you can you can outsource those jobs. Uh, do workers generally in America now have to adjust themselves to, if I want a job, it's, it's got to be for lower wages? Well, it's got to be. They have to compete in the global marketplace. And the uh, best way to compete is, is to have high skills and, uh, and uh, high, edu- high levels of education. Uh, let, let me mount a Twiki defense here and uh, say that the problem I see with Hostess is not so much collective bargaining over wages, but is work rules. And it's my understanding that uh, Hostess has two major divisions, a bread division, which is in bad shape, and a, and a snack, snack cake division. And uh, under the current a collective bar- bargaining agreement with the Teamsters, uh, many uh, of the uh, customers of Hostess, if they order both bread and snack cakes, they're delivered in separate trucks. They're delivered by separate drivers. They have to be uploaded uh, loaded and unloaded by separate people. And also there has to be, at the destination, another Teamster to move the stuff from the receiving uh, dock into the warehouse or onto the shelves. And so Hostess has twice as many trucks as it needs. It has twice as many drivers as it needs. And as we know from our experience with Walmart, distribution, efficiency and distribution is key to competitive success nowadays. Uh, Logistics is a term you see uh, in UPS advertisements. uh, And that, that's the reason that don't, nobody wants 
uh, host uh, the company Lock, Stock, and Barrel. They want their brands, mm. and the brands will continue, but they want to be able to <laughs> produce those brands in a, in, a, in a marketplace where they can uh, keep their costs down and and hopefully return uh, to profitability, which they haven't been for many years. Let me also mention that one of the other attractive features of the hostess brands to a foreign buyer of those brands would be, and to manufacture them offshore, is to get uh, out from under the sugar quotas. Uh, sugar is a major input here for snack cakes, and the U.S. price of sugar is two times the world price. And so efficiency on the input side, sugar, uh, labor, is, is the way to turn uh, somebody can turn this business around and uh, keep delivering uh, Twinkies and Ho-Hos and Ding Dongs to your local grocery store. Mm. Well, we're out of uh, time for this segment. Uh, We're talking about unions in America, the place of unions, and uh, we've been talking with uh, Utah State University uh, Huntsman School of Business uh, professors uh, Bill Shugart. Uh, Thanks so much for coming in. You're quite welcome. Thank you. And uh, David Stevens, thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. We're going to continue this discussion, and uh, when we come back from a brief break, we'll be uh, talking with a historian of labor at uh, Georgetown University. That's uh, Joseph McCartan. Later in the program, we'll talk with the uh, vice president of Utah AFL-CIO, Mike Lee. And your uh, questions and comments, input to the program, greatly appreciated at 1-800-826-1495, or you can email us at uh, upraxis at gmail.com. Back after a break. Support for Utah Public Radio is provided by the College of Science at Utah State University, where students step beyond the classroom participating in advanced research in the lab, field, and outer space. When students and faculty learn together, discovery follows. Information is at usu.edu slash science. Utamayo World Music Hour will highlight guitarists around the world from Latin America, Africa, Australia, and Japan. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for World Guitars, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Are unions to blame for the uh, death of hostess? Uh, That's what uh, some uh, uh, opinion leaders are saying. Others are saying, no, it's a vulture capitalism. Uh, we uh, probably will continue to be able to eat our Twinkies. Uh, the brands will likely be uh, uh, bought up and continue to be distributed. But uh, Hostess has uh, decided to uh, liquidate. Um, we've been talking about this with a couple of economics professors from uh, Utah State University. Later in the program, we'll talk with the vice president of Utah AFL-CIO. Right now, Joseph McCartan, who's a professor at Georgetown University and director of the Kabanovitz uh, Initiative for Labor and Working Poor. He's in the Department of History there and uh, expert on uh, U.S. labor, social, and political history. Professor McCartan, welcome to the program. Hi, Tom. Good to be with you. I believe you uh, listened in a little bit on the the tail end of our discussion uh, with uh, our economics professors, and uh, one of our professors uh, did uh, characterize 
unions as uh, having served a useful purpose in the past, but uh, somewhat anachronistic now. I, I believe you hold a different point of view. I do, and um, actually, even on some of the particulars of the hostess case, I, I I don't think it was entirely accurately represented in some of those comments. But let me just say that regarding the um, the utility of unions today, one of one of the most remarkable developments over the last thirty years, I think, in this country has been the rising productivity uh, of American workers. They're far more productive today than they were thirty years ago. And yet their incomes for the vast uh, majority of wage-earning people have been stagnant or even eroding. And I don't think there's anything that speaks more directly to the continued need for unions than that disjuncture between productivity uh, and and wages. Um, if you were to be able to graph those over the course of American history since the end of World War II, you would see that Productivity and wages tended to increase sort of in tandem with each other. Each step forward in productivity meant a return to working people uh, in, in terms of growth of their, their wages, and that was happening really until the late 1970s. But since then, as unions have weakened, we've seen productivity continue to grow, but, but income is not. And so I think that there's still... Uh, a need for unions. In fact, even maybe more a need for them today than there was, say, 35 years ago. What about the argument that was put forward early in the program uh, that in, in today's uh, global marketplace, uh, companies can, they have a, an increased pool of labor, cheap labor, and if, uh, if people in America want jobs, they're, they're going to have to uh, accept that reality and accept the lower wages. Well, you know, that's an argument that basically... Uh, is going to lead to something unsustainable, uh, because if you follow the logic of it, really it is that American workers have to re, you know, go to the least common denominator. As long as there's a worker somewhere in the world willing to work for less, uh, does the American worker also have to give up more and more? I, I don't think we can run our economy uh, on that premise. Now, admittedly, over the last 30 years or so, that that logic has been, uh, you know, predominant for the most part, but is leading to some some severe social problems that I, I don't think we can continue to to deal with w- without confronting this, uh, you know, admittedly global dynamic. Um, we can't see our, our working families continuing to have to take on more personal debt. Uh, in order to uh, accomplish their family goals, as happened to many of them in, in the years just before the Great Recession. We have to find a way to raise income. And, and that will, admittedly, require not just action by American workers, but, but by workers elsewhere around the world. On Access Utah today, we're talking about the place of unions in America. And this is occasioned, of course, by the liquidation of hostess. Some are blaming the unions for that. Others are blaming vulture capitalism. Uh, is a much publicized case, and it's, it gives us a chance to talk about unions. Uh, a lot happening, of course. Uh, this big case in Wisconsin recently. We'll get our guest here to, to talk about that as well, and what's been happening recently with unions' intersection with politics. I want to get this email in from uh, a listener, uh, Steve, in. Uh, Beaver Dam, Arizona. This is what Steve says. By happenstance, there was a piece on Morning Edition this morning about German unions and auto industry. 
very much unlike here at the United States. In Germany, unions have a place at the table and representation on the board. As a consequence, because employees have a real stake in long and profitable operations, companies in Germany are very careful to keep their manufacturing technology up to date and their factories running well. They are disincentivized from closing factories or moving to other countries. Compare this to the United States, where factories are so often allowed to rust into obsolescence and then are closed with jobs shipped overseas, unlike Detroit. Uh, Germany automobile companies, uh, VW, Porsche, uh, BMW, Mercedes-Benz, etc., have a history of long, strong, profitable operations. This is true of the automobile sector, but of uh, the German industrial operations in general. Moreover, German industrial workers are better paid, are more healthy, and enjoy a better lifestyle than their American counterparts. Uh, I'll get your professor to, to comment on that. Uh, sure. Just uh, preface this uh, with uh, what Steve says. He says, so you understand my perspective. I have a graduate degree in finance from Columbia University. I've enjoyed a long career on Wall Street. I tell you this to clarify this observation comes not at all from a labor-oriented point of view, but rather from one looking at stability of company and industry as a whole. I wonder if you comment on the, the German experience there. Oh, you know, I think Steve makes an excellent point. Um, Germany is the most heavily unionized country in Europe. It's also the healthiest economy in Europe right now. Um, it, it refutes the argument that unions are a drag on economic growth, that unions um, hamper the growth of a nation's economy. Um, all of Europe now is looking to Germany to help help it through this very difficult period. Uh, and uh, your your emailer is absolutely right. The German unions have a, a place at the table. It's called co-determination mm. in Germany, where where the workers really have some voice in what what happens. They're, the workers are seen as a stakeholder uh, of the company, and and it's not just the stockholders uh, who are recognized to have a legitimate voice, obviously, and getting return on their investment, but the stakeholders, the communities, the workers who help make um, the companies profitable, that should also have some some input in, in the company's decisions. And I think that there's a direct correlation between the health of the German economy today and, and those kinds of practices. And I'm sure some would uh, disagree with this model, but if we stipulate that the German model is where we want to go, we're, we're a long ways from that in America, aren't we? Oh, yeah. How do we get there? Uh, well, you know, uh, as your your previous guest pointed out, union density, the amount of uh, unionized workers in the United States is, is now pretty small and shrinking, especially in the private sector. So... Uh, we're very far from having something on the German model. I think what would have to happen here, though, and I think what must happen for the health of our economy and for working people is that there needs to be a revival of workplace organizations so that workers really do have a greater voice in the whole range of things that affect um, their working lives. Wisconsin is a very interesting um, recent example. This is a place where where labor has been very strong historically. Uh, labor just lost a battle with uh, Governor Walker, but uh, on the other hand, in the national race, I think labor was at least seen as being instrumental to uh, President Obama's win in some key states. Uh, and perception does play a big part here, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely, and not not just uh, perception, but um the, the the vehicle that unions have provided uh, in politics has been very important in lots of ways. Um, what happened in Wisconsin um, 
as you point out, happened in a state uh, where unions had been strong. Wisconsin was the first state way back in 1959 to legalize collective bargaining for its um, for its public workers. And so when Scott Walker moved two years ago to to roll that back, that was a big development. But I think what even though labor was unsuccessful in recalling Walker last summer, uh, what we what we did see in both Wisconsin and in Ohio, where a similar effort to remove collective bargaining rights was turned back in a referendum, SB5 it was called, is that these efforts to attack public sector unions did mobilize lots of people. And I think that uh, there is you know, uh, no coincidence between the level of activism the Obama campaign was able to to call upon in Wisconsin and in that crucial swing state of Ohio. Hmm. There's no coincidence that those states had been battlegrounds. People were mobilized. And the, the, I guess the state of the debate has moved. I'm, I'm reading an article from uh, 2011 that you're, you're quoted as uh, saying this is a dangerous time for unions and that what, what happened in Wisconsin was, was an attack on the very idea of unions and collective bargaining. As, as you've been saying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, um, a point I was making in that article and then some other things I've been been writing lately is that there's been a real transformation in the last 30 years uh, in our politics and really in the conservative movement. I'd go back to the era of Ronald Reagan, and some of your um, listeners may well remember that Ronald Reagan himself had once been a union leader, the leader leader of the Screen Actors Guild. He had once led his union on a strike. He's probably best known for people who follow labor issues uh, in his presidency for having broken the walkout of the air traffic controllers in 1981. Now, they did not have a right to strike legally, and he warned them, gave them 48 hours to return to work. When they didn't, he fired them. But the interesting thing about Ronald Reagan is he never tried to roll back collective bargaining rights for federal workers or when he was governor of California for state workers there. Uh, he he believed in collective bargaining as being uh, an important part of a, a democratic society. I think what we've seen is a rising hostility to collective bargaining among those who call themselves Reagan's heirs. And that really shows a, a big shift that's happened in the last 30 years toward a, an increasing anti-unionism in the country. What do you, from the point of view of unions, what can they do to counteract this? Well, I think, you know, uh, the first thing that they had to do, I think, was to to, to try to hold serve more or less in politics, which they did in the recent electoral cycle. But politics is not going to change or improve things for unions. What they have to do is find new ways of reaching out to workers and making workers feel that getting involved in the process of building a union it is meaningfully going to help them. And it's a challenging uh, time in part because of, as your previous guest pointed out, we're in a globalized environment where workers feel worried about the loss of their jobs. But um, I don't think things are going to improve for workers until they start to believe that we can have a a system that works better for for wage earners than the one that we have now, and, and that that can be brought about by workers themselves coming together and saying, hey, we need a voice.
We're talking with the Georgetown University professor, Joseph McCartan. Uh, he's an expert on U.S. labor, uh, social, and political history. We're talking about uh, labor in America, unions in America, the place of unions uh, with respect to the, the hostess liquidation. Some are blaming uh, the unions there for, for the liquidation. Others disagree with that. Uh, gives us a chance to talk about uh, unions in America. Uh, following a brief break, we're going to uh, bring on Mike Lee, who's uh, vice president of Utah AFL-CIO. We'll ask uh, Professor McCartan to stay on as well, if you, if you can, Professor. Okay. Uh, so a brief break, and we'll continue with Professor McCartan and bring in uh, Mike Lee from U- Utah AFL-CIO following this. This is folk singer Michael Jonathan inviting you to tune in to the next Wood Songs broadcast. We have Pert Near Sandstone and from England, Sarah McQuaid. Spring follows winter, sun follows shower. It's music and conversation on the next broadcast of the Wood Songs, Old Time Radio. That's Friday night at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Support for Utah Public Radio is provided by Colgan Water of Cache Valley, family-owned and operated for more than 62 years, providing high-quality Colgan soft water for home and business. Hey, Colgan Man, service man, service from the man in blue, online at logan.colganman.com. Some recent headlines uh, from the uh, liquidation of... Uh, Hostess, death of Twinkies, a union contract hit. That's from foxbusiness.com. I guess you'd maybe expect that from uh, Fox Business. Uh, Here's from salon.com. Vulture capitalism, not unions, killed Twinkies. There's been a fierce debate on the role of unions in the liquidation of this particular company uh, because the company's liquidation has gotten a lot of headlines. Gives us a chance to, to talk about the role of unions in America, the role of unions in Utah. You're welcome to join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495. Some are calling unions uh, a needed institution in the past, which is anachronistic now. Others are saying unions are more needed now than ever to uh, to help workers in the global marketplace. 1-800-826-1495. We're talking with the Georgetown Professor Joseph McCartan, and we bring in now Mike Lee, who's the new vice president of uh, Utah AFL-CIO. Mike Lee, Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Let me ask you uh, just uh, personally: this whole this 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 hostess thing, the Twinkie thing, and the connection with the unions has gotten a lot of play. I don't know if you've gotten reaction personally, either from your union members or from uh, from people who, who are maybe blaming the unions for for the death of Twinkies. You know, we have uh, we have about two hundred local uh, union members here in the state of Utah that work for work directly for Hostess uh, out of about six hundred employees total. But we do have several here, and you know they they felt it, and uh, you know they took the heat for you know what was going on nationally, and uh, you know they they're, they're feeling it very much so here, and uh, you know so yeah, absolutely here in Utah we're feeling it as well. So. What if you could uh, you know, refute the argument we heard earlier in the program uh, that I just stated? Unions very necessary in uh, late earlier, perhaps in century, in the past century, to help with workers' safety and wages, but uh, a drag on the economy now with the global marketplace. Uh, you know, I'm going I'm to disagree that it's a drag on the global marketplace. I think I think more than ever that unions are 
are needed and and are more than ever relevant at this point because you know we we continue to have you know uh, corporations and big companies starting to exploit workers and 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 shipping jobs overseas and I think more than ever that we need we need unions and we need uh, people that are working for working families and middle class families to stand up and fight for their rights as well. Let me follow up with what you said previously, the the hostess employees in Utah. You say uh, some of those, all of those unionized? Uh, not not all of them, but there's a large majority or a large portion of them that are. Um, you know, they have a little over 200 uh, members here in Utah that are that are unionized, and that's from the bakers to the to the folks that work in the retail stores and so on and so forth. Uh, so, what, what does the union provide? Some services there for the, these these workers? Right, they, they they negotiate their contracts uh, for them as well. You know, for them, um, just like they do all across the United States. You know, they're part of the 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 you know, the Baker's Union uh, here locally. So, you know, they're part of, you know, the bigger international union of the Baker's and uh, and those folks there. And so they, they provide the same services as the other uh, as the uh, unions in other states as well. And uh, for these displaced workers, uh, the union, can the union uh, provide some services there? You know, I'm not sure what they have lined up for the displaced workers. Uh, you know, that, that's going to be done on a local basis, and I'm not sure what the local union has in place for them. You know, what, one of the things on this, though, is, you know, that this company continued to try and, uh, you know, to bully these these employees around. You know, they, they'd taken concessions before Hostess went through, the, when they went through their first bankruptcy, and they were asking for concessions again. I mean, the, the first set of concessions, they took about an 8% wage cut, and this next time around, they were asking for over 30% of their compensation package to be to be reduced. And finally, these 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 employees just got fed up and said they're not going to be pushed around and bullied anymore. And they they took a vote. This 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 particular union is a very democratically ran union, and they took a vote. And over 92% of the members voted to go on strike, knowing full well that that probably meant them losing their jobs. So they they you're saying they they knew going in that may well result in, in job loss. Yeah, they, they they knew the consequences going into this vote, and like I said, it was it was an overwhelming vote, uh, you know, democratic by by their membership, and it was ninety two percent that they voted to go on the end strike. Let me turn to Professor McCartan. Um, the the, uh, the right to work movement uh, is, has been growing uh, in the United States. Of course, that uh, happened in Utah some time ago. Utah is a right to work state. Uh, first of all, I wonder if you could explain for our listeners what what right to work is, and then uh, where we are in, in terms of where this is 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 growing or not in America. Right to work, so called, means that um, states can enact laws, and they've been able to do this since the Taft Hartley Act of 1947. But states can enact laws that prohibit um, the negotiation of contracts where workers pay dues uh, in return for representation. So that even where unions are formed in a in a open in a right to work state like Utah, and even where the unions negotiate on behalf of all workers in a workplace, the workers who get the service of the union representing them, and the union is actually required to represent everybody in its bargaining unit, uh, that those workers don't have to pay for that representation if they don't want to. Uh, it was a a device that was pushed forward by those who wanted to weaken unions after World War II, and it has weakened unions. It's made it harder to organize in states like Utah because um, unions 
are constantly in a struggle to um, to get the dues necessary to sustain their organizations, and um, uh, it's it's been an, an effective tool combating unions. But in states like Utah, and Mike uh, and his uh, organization have helped to show this. Labor has still been able to survive uh, and and been able to um, you know make advances even despite you know this considerable impediment. Michael, Lee, I wonder if you talk about the the climate for labor in Utah, Utah right to work state. Um, the, the, you know the legislature <laughs> has on occasion gone after unions. Uh, yeah, you know I think I think in Utah we you know we we had to evolve and become a different breed of union worker here. You know I I don't know that we're we're much different from our brothers and sisters in other uh, other states, but we definitely have to change our tactics and change the ways we we go about things and accomplish the tasks that we're going after. You know you mentioned the legislature, uh, you know, and there has in the past been some anti-union. Uh, bills that came out of there but you know we've I feel like we've really done a good job of building relationships with those lawmakers and and trying to, to build that person those personal relationships with them and, and make it uh, make it a more than about just unions it's more about working families and, and it's these people that and put a face and a name to these people that uh, you know they're they're creating these laws for and and, and actually hurting at times uh, and and educate them as much as it is you know a lot of times they're they're acting off of ideology and once we actually take the time build that personal relationship with them and help educate them on the issues that it's not just a union issue it's it's working families issues you know and people seem to think that unions are always against uh you know employee or employers and that's absolutely the absolute truth because if we don't have good employers good responsible employers then then we don't have jobs to go to either we want to see our 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 organizations and our companies and our our public uh governments thrive and work well because if if they don't work well then we don't have jobs either so we want to we want to work in a partnership with them not against them uh but we do want to make sure we're looking out for the working families and making sure they're taken care of you know they they have decent wages and access to decent benefits and uh they have safe working conditions Professor McCartan, I want to give you a chance, and maybe Mr. Lee as well, to respond to one of the most frequent criticisms of unions that I hear from unions talking in general conversation. That is rigid rules that come into place that the unions won't give up. But Professor Shugart early in the program said that he had it was his understanding that, for example, the case of Hostess, you had two distribution streams because of of you know union demands. Uh, is is that something that's a reality out there, these sort of rigid, outdated rules that the unions impose? I think it's vastly overstated by the uh, opponents of unions. First of all, in the case of a Hostess and the Teamsters, uh, the Teamsters uh, reached an agreement with Hostess. Um, uh, they weren't asked to give up as much uh, as the bakery workers were being uh, asked to give up. And so... Uh, Hostess and the Teamsters really didn't have uh, a disagreement. And the Teamsters were disappointed that the bakery workers uh, and Hostess couldn't work it out. Um, so in that particular case, I think, you know, work rules really weren't the impediment. Uh, and in most cases, I think um, the work rules evolve uh, in ways that can protect both the business and the worker. When When everybody knows what the rules are in a workplace, it tends to lead to less friction uh, and, in fact, to more productivity. And study after study shows that unionized workplaces are actually more productive uh, than, than non-union workplaces. And um, 
So I think it's a vastly overstated uh, criticism. We just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, I want to have each of you uh, maybe look to the future. Mike Lee, uh, the, the future of labor in, in Utah, is it a bright future? You know, I think so. I, we're actually very encouraged about the future in Utah. Uh, again, as we as we develop these relationships with our local leaders and we start to educate, uh, you know, businesses and, and contractors and local government leaders on what we're actually here to do, it seems that we're becoming more and more successful. Um, we're not the bad guys. We're not. It's not us against them. We're here to work in a partnership. To, uh, to make the workplace a better place, a more productive place, and a safer place. Um, and I think, you know, as we develop those relationships and we move forward, uh, we're going to become more and more successful in the state of Utah because of those reasons. Professor McCartan, you, you described this uh, time, at least last year, as a dangerous time for unions. What do, what do you see looking forward? Well, I think unions um, have some challenges ahead. And, uh, Mike Lee and his organization are prepared to face them. And Utah and um, labor leaders are around the country are looking at um, ways to move forward. But I think, you know, the, the challenges of the global economy uh, and uh, what it has brought um, have not yet fully been met by, by workers or their unions. And so the, the years ahead are, uh, to me, they recall what it was like in the early 20th century when the unions hadn't quite caught up with the changes brought about by mass production. But once they did, I think what they were able to do was to develop a solid middle class in this country. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the next couple of decades we see some similar revival. We've reached the end of our program. Joseph McCartan is a professor at Georgetown University. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, Mike Lee is vice president of Utah AFL-CIO. Thank you to you. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having us. Thank you to all of our previous guests. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Sherry Quinn is in with the Science Questions. Hope you'll join her. And uh, for our producer, Shalane Smith-Needham, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1, 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1, 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1, 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1, 88.7 Moab, and KUSU FM HD1, 91.5 Logan.